This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Welcome to the Urban Political. My name is Markus Kipp, and I'll be hosting this episode. My name is Hannah Hilbrand, and I'm a social and cultural geographer at the University of Zurich in the Geography Department. And my research connects questions of urbanization, marginalization, exclusion, and social and spatial inequalities in cities. Welcome, Hannah. I'm delighted that you're joining us today. And I would kindly ask you to briefly introduce your research, which we're going to talk about. The project that I currently work on is funded by the German Academic Exchange Service um, and it's dealing basically with two different developments. On the one hand, um, what has been called the post-2015 urban agenda, so the turn to cities as sites and as actors of sustainable development. And on the other hand, the increasing financialization of cities the idea that cities should be tapping into financial markets to finance their sustainable development strategies. So my research considers both of these jointly, um, the ways in which financial actors turn to cities, particularly in the global south, to foster investment in their built environment. And more particularly, it looks at certain financial product, green municipal bonds or GMBs, and how these products, GMBs, have been introduced in Mexico City, so at the expansion of this particular financial instrument to one particular city in the global south. So let's start with a little bit of background. So your research contributes to uh, our understanding of the growing financialization of municipalities um, and their de development strategies following the crisis of 2008. Could you tell us a bit more about how this crisis moment has fostered a growing influence of finance and what kind of new qualities have resulted for cities? So if I may, I would just start a bit theoretical here. Um, capitalism, and this is basic a political economy, needs to grow in order to overcome crises of overaccumulation. And in the past crisis, in the financial crisis of 2007-2008, this has been very evident in European and American cities as they've converted real estate into objects of speculation, homes into products to be traded on financial markets. And as we've all seen, the market has sought out ever riskier opportunities to make these profits. And of course, we all know how this ended. So in the processes that I look at, in principle, nothing has changed. It's only the next market sector that I'm looking at. So there's a qualitative difference in the sites on the one hand and the objects of investment. So I'd say the frontiers of investment have been changing. So on the one hand, we're seeing how cities in the south provide new opportunities for investment. So that places that have formerly been considered as sites of poverty, sites of underdevelopment, are now sort of discursively reconfigured into frontier markets, into emerging markets. So risky but potentially profitable investment opportunities. And on the other hand, the financial market is being very innovative in finding new instruments that can be converted into financial assets. So making money by speculating on climate risks with, for instance, cat bonds, catastrophe bonds, um, the whole idea that you can bet on particularly risk or catastrophes, natural catastrophes, um, or the whole topic of carbon trading where carbon gains are traded on financial markets. 
And at the same time, we are having very low interest rates in European and American markets, so it's very difficult to make money here. And that, of course, makes it very attractive for financial investors to place money in the semi-periphery in square quotes. And that reinforces this development that financial actors are turning to cities in the global south to invest in their urban development. But, of course, the system is still prone to crises. And now you're asking about new qualities for cities, how has this affected the urban development? So I would say first what's changed is places of investment, as I've said, um, the search of the market to find new investment opportunities in these so-called emerging markets. And with that, what shifts is the kind of global hierarchies in which we tend or in which cities tend to be ranked. Um, so, for instance, the SDGs no longer rank cities by this binary logic of developed north and underdeveloped south. So instead, the discourse has changed to this idea of emerging markets. And of course, we need to reject that term because it ultimately translates all cities into a logic of market growth. But it's broken up these divisions, so new cities come into view. Um, and that will inevitably also shift the production of the built environment, um, the production um, of the built environment in the sense that it's, there's a difference in where money is being placed. Um, so just to give you an example, we can see in a number of development finance institutions programs, so for instance by the World Bank or by the AFC, the International Financial Corporation, it's the banking, private sector banking arm of the World Bank. Um, that they calculate a so-called sustainable infrastructure financing gap, so a gap in the possibilities of financing infrastructure, financing the adaptation, mitigation, and development projects of cities. And they calculate that, and uh, who knows where they get this number from, to be two to three trillion US dollars per year between 2015 and 2030. So obviously this money is infecting, or where this money flows, how it flows, is affecting how the built environment is being produced. We'd focus specifically on your research on green municipal bonds in Mexico City. Uh, so tell me a bit about how did you get to this research? So to explain why Mexico City and this um, also a comparative case which I'm thinking about looking at is which is Johannesburg um, I need to explain a bit about the green municipal bonds themselves um, so let us first talk about green bonds so green bonds other than what is called plain vanilla or corporate bonds are bonds which are standardized. So there's a standardization setting organization and they say that a particular product is green because it lives up to a certain standard. So a bond is a bond which a green bond is a bond which finances investments which are standardized in this way. A green municipal bond is the same only that the issue is a municipality rather than let's say a bank or nation state institution. Um, so these normal bonds have been on the market for centuries. Um, already in the 18th century, cities have financed their infrastructure development or other things through bonds. But green municipal bonds are quite recent. So only in 2013, the first city in Europe, um, Gothenburg in Sweden, started using these green municipal bonds. 
And since then, the World Bank and other international and global actors have promoted this instrument in cities of the Global South to finance this infrastructure gap, which we've talked about, or other things. Um, so Mexico City and Johannesburg are the first cities in these so-called emerging markets to use this instrument. Hence, I picked this case study of Mexico City. And also because I've worked previously in Mexico City as an architect 15 years ago, um, I was involved there in a small project. Um, so for me, it brought up this opportunity to go to a city that I love, that I personally wanted to be in, and link that to researching a topic which I was passionate about. So I started in Mexico. Could you tell us a bit uh, about these standard-setting organizations and uh, how they have developed historically, what their role is? So standards are interesting, I think, because we tend to think about them as boring technicalities and I think there's not a lot of kind of common knowledge about standard setting organizations, who they are, how they're organized institutionally. Um, I started this research um, through a project on norms and standards together with Monika Grubauer at the HCU Hamburg, Hafen City University Hamburg, who's also been very involved in this, um, the ideas we're talking about here now. And when I started the project, I actually caught myself thinking, maybe it's a bit boring to talk about norms and standards. Um, but they are immensely powerful, and standard-setting organizations are that as well. And I would say for two reasons. Um, firstly, because standards and standard-setting organizations, they coordinate things across jurisdictions. Um, so that we, or the industry, can communicate across many places about how to manage a health system, the side of a machinery, um, how to represent days and times, uh, the size of a piece of paper. And in the realm of sustainability, um, standards emerged or standard-setting organizations played a big role in reaction to the idea that, of course, ecological challenges won't be able to be solved within the realms of one national jurisdiction. Um, so they played a big role in establishing rules that could translate across different sites. And the other thing that is interesting to say about standard-setting organizations is that standards are essentially private regulations. So there's a difference between market standards and more formalized standards. So market standards or market standard setting organizations, they're essentially private institutions um, that come out of the industry, the financial industry or other sectors of the economy. Um, and they sometimes translate into more formal regulations, but essentially they don't, um, they, they don't underlie any kind of democratic oversight. There's very rarely any kind of participation in the way in which these standards emerge. Um, so, for instance, um, the standards LEED and BREAM, they're the most important standards in the building sector. Um, they're independent, non-governmental international organizations. Um, then we have standards such as the German DEAN, the German Institute for Standardization, and they are contractually related to government insofar as they represent, it's the dean, for instance, the German government in the negotiation of international standards. Um, so there's a bit of a difference. And in the case of the green municipal bonds and the most important standard-setting organizations we have there, the Climate Bond Initiative, 
we have a standard that essentially consists of two different things. So on the one hand, there's an environmental standard setting um, the standard for the projects that are to be financed. And we need to imagine that standard as consisting of multiple different other standards. So the CBI makes reference, for instance, to the LEED standard when it comes to building. Um, it makes uh, reference to a, a certain forest standard. Um, so they don't set the standard of all the different things that they standardize in the bond, but it's an overarching standard that brings together other standards. Um, and then there's an accounting standard involved, so a standard that sets the measurement of how these projects are certified, how transparent they are, how they're being traded, so that ultimately says if you issue a green municipal bond, you need to issue a certain report, it needs to be verified, the investors need to be able to know what the different projects are that you have um, inside of the standard. So. Ultimately, I think that's the role of these standard-setting organizations to kind of um, set the standards in this context of the Green Municipal Bond for environmental issues, but also for financial issues. And what's interesting here is that both of these issues merge in this one standard. It's both financial and environmental. So you, your claim is that hmm, these standard-setting organizations have played a, a significant role in the deepening of financialization uh, of, of, of cities. Um, the way I understand you is that these standards do not imply that there is an, an organization that operates in the public interest uh, to regulate markets, but rather fosters or promotes the expansion of markets. So in the case of Mexico City... The municipality has in 2018 stopped issuing bonds because you asked about the deepening of financial markets, um, the expansion of financial markets. So it was my assumption when I started the research that these bonds were an indicator, the travel of these bonds to places such as Mexico City were an indicator of the widening of financial markets. But now, and we can talk about why, why they stopped using um, green municipal bonds in 2018, um, but that's an indication of maybe the expansion also is a bit compl more complicated than I initially thought. Maybe financial products don't travel as easily. Maybe the market doesn't deepen as easily as I initially thought. Well, at first sight, the standards that you're talking about sound like regulatory interventions ways to rein in the financial market, something that leftist actors have long argued for. Could you elaborate a bit on this aspect? Well, yes, the standards are said to be making financial transaction more transparent and thus also more accountable because they ultimately regulate how financial transaction is taking place. And that's definitely the case To a certain extent, in the case of the Green Municipal Bond, the city needs to list what projects it has inside of the standard so that for an international investor, now this is national investment what's taking place here, but potentially an international investor could be placing money in these bonds because they know from New York or from wherever they sit what the products are that they're financing, so there's more transparency here. But at the same time, I would say that the opposite is the case because we need to consider all the things that become obscured. So who produces the guidelines? That, who sets those standards? 
who defines then what is sustainable, what isn't sustainable. All of that is beyond democratic consideration. And then I think that's why we need to be asking whose interests do those norms and standards serve, who makes them and with what interests. So now I've said before that what we're talking here is essentially market, the market self-regulation and naturally the market wouldn't regulate itself in ways that are, well, to their detriment, right? In ways that um, hinder them in, in ideas that they have about profit extraction. Um, so um, that's one point that we need to consider here, that the market won't regulate itself in ways um, that, are, uh, that are to their disadvantage, I would say. That's kind of logical for me. And the other thing is that um, corporations can increasingly choose what kind of regulations they use. So there's so much standards out there. There's ultimately a standards market between different standards um, that there's uh, also less transparency in the way in which uh, corporations choose those, those standards because it's not quite clear which one they need to be using. And then there's an argument in the literature that regulatory order through these standards is increasingly produced in cities or in sites of the global north and then it's imported into cities in the global south. And we, that's particularly the case in the green municipal bonds in Mexico. So the standard setting organizations that I talk about, um, the Climate Bond Initiative, they sit in New York and they have an adapted standards for cities in the global south, but still the standard is produced in the global north and then kind of transported to the global south. Um, so all of these are problems with the global sphere of regulation that I think make it very difficult to claim that this would make regulatory oversight better in any sense. Okay, Hannah, let's hear a bit uh, more about your research findings in, in your case studies of Mexico City. What have you found? How did this um, relationship of this standard-setting organization with the municipality play out and, and what were the results of this? So let me say two things here. One thing that I was surprised to find is that the material effects that the standards have or that the bond has are very liminal. So I would argue that the standards don't really change much in the ways in which investment takes place. And I think to understand that, I need to go back and explain how these bonds are issued, how the bonds come to be placed on the market. So imagine, I told previously the story about how the Climate Bond Initiative traveled to Mexico, how I explained the regulation. So this ended up in a situation where the city had agreed that they would do it, um, and they needed to find projects to put into that bond, projects to finance through that bond. So the Secretariat of the Environment, they received a list from the Secretariat of Finance, and on that list, they found all the projects that were in the pipeline to be produced, projects such as metro projects, water projects, infrastructural projects. And then essentially what they did is that they took the standard from the Climate Bond Initiative and checked, on the one hand, what projects fit into the standard, and on the other hand, what projects align well with their own climate strategy. 
And they picked a list of projects that would fit into the bond because of those two areas in which they had to fit. And then they gave that list back to the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Finance prioritized those projects for the green bond. Now, the important thing here to know is that they would have financed those projects anyway, sooner or later, because they were on this list of things that needed to be financed. And the other thing to know is that Mexico has a debt ceiling, so they can only issue a certain amount of debt. So crucially, these projects weren't financed in addition to what they were already doing. They were just financed differently through this green bond. So it's very difficult to argue that these projects have sh been shaped in any way through the standard, that the bar of environmental qualification that they need to meet has been raised. So, And I think that's also a temporal problem because in order to be eligible to fit in the standard, the projects need to be already underway. They need to already de be developed. Um, and now you could argue that because the standard is out there, in the future the projects will be developed differently. But the projects that are in the bond, the metro, there's a bus um, system that has been financed through that, a lightning system, there were projects that already fit in the, in the bond, so the, the city doesn't, there's no kind of a need for the city to develop projects differently because there's already this pipeline of projects that fit. That's the first finding, I would say. And then the other thing that surprised me is that it's more difficult to place these bonds on the market than I had ultimately thought. So more theoretically, if we think with Harvey, if we think um, that uh, like the, the whole theoretical idea of, well, there's crisis of overaccumulation and then there's new markets that need to be opened up where money is being placed, that also sounds, that sounds very easy. It sounds like money could just flow and it would be arriving in new places. But ultimately what happened in Mexico is that you had key individuals which needed to be really motivated to see the whole, whole challenges that this came with through. Actors in the bureaucracy, they needed to be convinced. There was a lot of resistance because ultimately, of course, people also understood that the bonds, they were only financing things that they would be financing anyway. Um, so they didn't quite understand why they needed to be doing that. Then one of the things that is particular about Mexico is that because there was an election in 2018, the knowledge infrastructures, all the ideas that they had learned about the bond, the knowledge they needed to have to place the market, to place the bond on the market, that knowledge disappeared when, with the election, bureaucrats went into new positions. So all of that makes it very difficult to say that there's kind of a continuous expansion on the market because there are these challenges. Um, It's, it's really not as easy as I had expected to kind of widen this market. So you said that these green municipal bonds basically finance projects that would have been financed anyways. So how do you explain that the municipality made this effort of issuing green municipal bonds then? What was their interest? Let me just be more precise on one thing. Yeah, I'm claiming that the projects would have been financed anyway. But there's one effect that does happen, and it's that the Secretariat of the Environment, they gain more leverage in the process. So there's more influence by actors who think green, in a sense. Yes, but why did they do it? That's a very good question. So first, 
the cities, of course, need to prove that they do something in terms of climate change. And Mexico, within Latin America, has been, as they claim, on the forefront of having a very innovative um, strategy. Um, and the bond just provides a good means to prove that because you can say amount X, so it's $50 billion that is into this bond, is financed into sustainable projects. It places a number on it, it makes it more visible, it makes it transparent what the city does. There's also political reasons, I think. The climate bond initiative, they um, were very outspoken about Mexico City having this bond. Um, they really promoted the city and it gave, I think, it gave the mayor of Mexico City also um, a good stance. Um, it was, uh, I think, yeah, also political motivation on their side. And then there's a market interest here as well. So pension funds, they have the requirement to place a certain amount of money into green projects. So there's a demand from the market that comes from the market to have projects which are certified as green. And the municipality plays a big role here because it opens up, it widens this market and it can also, other than maybe the private sector, be a bit riskier in doing that. Um, so I would say these three reasons, the political reason, the kind of planning reasons that they needed to show that they were doing something for their climate projects and then also market reasons. What has been uh, the response of civil society, uh, various environmental or social initiatives in, in Mexico when this green municipal bond uh, initiative was announced or, or what kind of conclusions have they drawn from this experience? Well, none is the simple answer because all of that is invisible for actors in civil society. So you would really need to be watching financial markets to see that particular projects that take place are developed through these certain mechanisms. So I would say from the perspective of civil society organizations, from the perspective of planning, it doesn't play such a primary role how these projects are being financed. And oftentimes I don't think that there's much of an involvement in these kind of background financial activities. And as the projects haven't changed, as... Um, these also infrastructural projects such as metros or bus lanes, they aren't often kind of issue of, uh, they, aren't, um, they aren't the subject of environmental movements. I think that there's been very, very little attention being even placed on the issuance of these municipal bonds. Um, in fact, I've wanted to talk to environmental organizations And I haven't found a single one which was really engaged in the issues of these bonds. Civil society organizations oftentimes are dealing with the kind of planning issues that are the outcomes of these financial mechanisms. But I've, I rarely see financial. Uh, I rarely see civil society organizations um, targeting, speaking about, um, politicizing the kind of financial mechanisms behind them. Okay, to, to end this, um, what kind of political conclusions can we draw out of your research? Well, political conclusions um, are really important to draw from this case. Um, I think first um, there's a problem with the effectiveness of the solutions that are um, being, advanced, being advanced through the 
green municipal bond. We've talked about um, how the bond ultimately doesn't change um, the sustainable development of the city in very kind of transformative ways. Um, but um, there's more general conclusions in the literature that confirm that claim beyond Mexico City. So in the literature, authors have raised social justice concerns when it comes to looking at financial mechanisms that invest in green, sustainable development in cities. There's the argument that carbon gains in the global moors are frequently predicated on uneven development, on injustices in the global south. Um, there's evidence of sustainable development projects um, that ultimately cause what has been called eco-gentrification or eco-displacement, where presumably sustainable money, green money, is being placed in development um, that lead to the eviction of um, low-income populations. Um, there's loads of evidence um, that these financial mechanisms fail to address social equity concerns, um, so I think the political conclusion to be drawn here is that financial markets, as they have been promoted as important actors in the SDGs and in other global agendas, are very, um, it's very, it's very problematic to, um, to kind of place our bets on them as 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 the solution to the climate crisis. Um, the targeting of cities in the global south and Latin America, of course, is not unique to Mexico City. Um, the Climate Bond Initiative has broadened their networks all into Latin America. Even people from within the bureaucracy in Mexico have traveled to places in Brazil and Chile to tell them about their experiences issuing this bond. Um, so uh, and these other cities are thinking about issuing bonds as well. I know that Chile has just issued a bond, not the municipal level, but the national level. So I think this development, we can say it's a bit wider than just Mexico City. And of course, the city still continues to use brown development, to, it continues with other things. And the standard in no way regulates that that can't be the case. Um, instead, I think it institutionalizes the idea that climate change cannot be challenged without the financial market. So it places a certain importance onto financial actors. Um, but there are very good arguments that transitioning to a more green economy, having really a more climate-resilient economy, is not possible without that kind of, uh, in, in the context of this kind of growth-oriented, financial market-oriented development. But rather, we need to change means of production, and that definitely doesn't happen. But instead, what happens is that environmentally oriented actors, political actors, are focusing all their attention on that kind of development through the financial market. So it's, it ultimately takes away energies that we need to foster really transformative development and focuses those energies on these more market-oriented developments, which then well produce infrastructures which produce profits as well, but ultimately it doesn't change. Um, so I think, yes, these infrastructures are needed to have a short answer to your question, um, but much, much more is needed, and that doesn't happen. Wonderful, Hannah. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website 
urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.